0: No. That would be the end of worship. I'll play the guitar for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you better better play loud. Um, I want to uh, want to say a quick word um, about our ongoing um, collection uh, donations that are being received uh, for the hurricane relief effort. I want to, and if you weren't here last week. You, you wouldn't necessarily be aware of this, but if you, if you were, just to remind you that we do um, continue for some time now to receive um, contributions from you. If you'd like to make contributions to the relief effort in the panhandle from uh, Hurricane Michael, uh, as, I, as I shared with you last week, if you do give specifically for that, please uh, mark your checks and your envelopes, UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief. And all of the dollars that you give will go to that relief effort, as every dollar they receive goes to the relief effort. Found out this week also that the conference has received a pledge of um, a matching donations up to $500,000 to relief efforts. So the dollars that we give are being matched by an anonymous donor who's continuing that. So, so just want you to, to be aware of that. Also, we shared with you that on Saturday, when we are at that charge or super conference, as they call it, they're going to be receiving donations of of financial donations but also of gift cards Home Depot and Lowe's I know some of you have already done this have, have donated um, gift cards Home Depot's and Lowe's that will go to help those who are in those um, those boots on the ground if you will to, to get the supplies that they need uh, you can throughout this week um, bring those by the office if you'd like to. We'll be collecting them until Friday, and then we'll take them with us on Saturday. And you can still order them through the church. If you're not aware, we do order gift cards. Uh, you can order, I haven't talked about it in a while, but you can order a number of gift cards through the church every week, and a donation or a percentage of what you spend is given back to the church. Uh, it's a dollar for dollar for you. If you buy a $25 gift card, you get a $25 gift card but they turn around and then make a donation back to the church um, if you'd like to order a Home Depot or Lowe's gift card through the church you can do that you just need to tell Dave uh, yeah, Dave who takes the donation or takes the, um, the gift cards you need to let him know that you've ordered something for the collection because they come in on Thursday and we'll pull those Home Depot and Lowe's cards out and add them to the to, the, um, to what we've received but we need to know so obviously uh, let him know if you want to do that. So those things are continuing to go on, and want you to uh, to be aware of that. Now, let's uh, let's kind of turn and shift a little bit as we prepare in a few minutes to get into our scripture in in Hebrews this morning. Uh, Alan actually provided by just the leading of the Holy Spirit a wonderful kind of um, bridge this morning in, into the message when he was sharing. Part of his story and part of his experience last year at this time, going home after being here with his concerts and, and finding out, I guess it was the next day after you'd left, the next day that, that he'd lost his job. And, and as in the first service, I was sitting where, where Alan was sitting, and I, as he told the story, I could w- look on the faces of the, of the congregation. And, and what I saw was this moment of identification, of connection, if you will, because as he was sharing his story, what, what I think is true for all of us, as you heard the story, is you also connected to the moments in your life that you've probably had um, where you've been blindsided by life. That's, that's kind of what I call it. There's moments when, when we kind of feel like we just got punched in the gut. It may be a moment where you, you lost a job, like, like Alan experienced, or any number of times that those things happen to us. But we can identify with that because it is not a pleasant reality, but it's an inevitable reality of life. We have those moments when we get knocked around. Sometimes they're, they're, they're incredibly tragic and sad. Sometimes they're, they're more lighthearted. Sometimes they can even be funny in hindsight. I, I, I heard, read a story this week of um, you know one of those kind of not bright moments in life when a guy was telling his own story but he said that he and his buddy and his wife were camping and they were going rafting and they had this blow this huge big blow-up raft that they were going to use and they went to the campsite and they were trying to blow it up and it was taking forever to blow this thing up so they finally got fed up with it so they drove to a gas station to use a an air pump to blow the thing up The problem is when they blew the raft up they couldn't get it back in the car So what he decided to do, this is one of the genius moves that only a guy would come up with. Um, He decided to put the raft on the top of the car while he laid on it and held on to the side while his buddy drove supposedly slow and his wife followed behind in the other car. Well, as they're going down the road, as luck would have it, a semi comes the other way. And it creates a draft, right? You know how that works? It lifted the raft up. He lost his grip flung into the air, came down on the trunk of the car. From the trunk, he said, he bounced to the pavement, and once he hit the pavement, his wife ran over him in the car behind him. Now, it's only funny because the only thing that happened was he broke an ankle. That's the only reason we can tell the story. And, um, but but as, as I was laughing about this and I was listening to this or, or reading about it, I thought, hopefully we can't identify with doing something quite that brilliant. Brilliant. Um, only a man would do that. I, I will own that, yeah, no, yeah. You ladies are like, no way. And the guys are going, well, I don't know if you had a tight enough grip on it. But, but what we can identify with are the moments we feel like we've been, you know, bounced off a trunk, hit the pavement, and been run over. You know, we, we, we know those kind of unexpected and sometimes moments we have no control over. Um, Dean Winter is the name of an actor. Anybody know that name off the top Okay, a few of you, yeah, a few of you know Dean Winter. Now, he's acted in some movies, he's acted in some um, television shows, but that's probably not why you would know Dean Winter. If the name doesn't ring a bell, the face probably will if you watch television. Cassie, pull his his picture up. You know who that is? Ah, yeah, there's the moment. Ah, who is he? He's Mayhem. He's mayhem. If you've seen the Allstate commercials, he's mayhem. And so he's the actor that they're wonderful. They're great commercials. I love them. But he personifies, and if you've never seen them, I don't know how well I can make this make any sense to you. But he personifies um, random acts or occurrences that cause destruction or mayhem in the lives of, of unsuspecting people. Uh, a, a raccoon that gets into an attic and tears up insulation and does structural damage. Um, a, a windstorm that causes a branch to crash on a car and, and cave in a car. Uh, uh, he, he does one, he's funny, where he acts like a, a teenage girl who's just gotten some bad news and is texting and not paying attention in a parking lot and catches the front end of another car and drives off. You, you get the point. A hailstorm that does damage. All of these kind of unexpected and unplanned for disasters that cause problems and especially in this case if you don't have good insurance. So the whole, I mean that's what they're selling. They're selling life in, or or home insurance and car insurance and renters insurance. But the point is the reason why I think a lot of us identify with the commercials is cuz we like yeah, we, you've been there. You know, you've been there at some way some place in your life where you've kind of got a gut punch of life and and that's what well, we want to spend a, a few minutes looking at today, really in much more serious ways. Not just because we call them gut punches or um, challenges or difficulties. Sometimes the better word is suffering. And what, what, how do we begin to make sense of, of the suffering that we sometimes experience in life? And, and so to do that, let's, let's go to our scripture first and then we'll start to, to go a little deeper this morning. We pick up in Hebrews chapter 4. We finish with chapter 4, and then we're going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 5. This is what we read. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of his people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, as was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Brothers and sisters, we ask God here to bless this reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us. Speak in this hour of worship through the music, through the prayer, through the reading of your word and the the, the meditations of our hearts. Through these words that I speak, speak to us your truth and your love and the power that is awaiting for our lives. That is it at work within us through faith. These moments of yours, we give them to you. In Christ's holy name, amen. 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 I heard it said that if we are not moved by the suffering of others, if we are not moved by the suffering of others, then it's indicative of either one of two things. Either our heart has been hardened or our brain has turned to mush, or softened. Either our heart has been hardened, or our brain has been softened. We, we certainly identify with suffering, because in some ways we all know the experience, but not to the same degree. Our lives and our stories are different, and, and some undoubtedly seem more afflicted than others. I read an article about a, a, an American writer by the name of Carson McCullers. Uh, I I've never read anything by Carson McCullers. She'd passed away in the 60s. She wrote um, Southern Gothic, uh, she wrote plays and, and other things. But in, in reading this article, what, what caught my attention, the reason I even remember her name here and bring it up, is because of the description of her life. It was said after she died in 1967 that Carson McCullers had a vocation of pain. Think about that. A vocation of pain. And, and the reason for that was she had had such a tremendously difficult life. By the age of 29, she'd had three strokes that rendered the entire left side of her body paralyzed. She, could, she loved to write, was fearful she'd never write again, was able finally to be able to write about a page a day. She battled mental illness her whole life in her, I believe, in her 40s. Her husband committed suicide. She struggled and suffered most of her life. She said once that I believe that God has mistaken me for Job. But Job did not curse God and neither will I. But, but it was that line, vocation of pain. In fact, one of our friends said, you had to like burdens to love Carson. You had to like burdens because just walking in life with her was such a challenge. And you read a story like that, I read a story like that, and I think, gosh, why? You know, why? Why are some more afflicted than others? Why, why do these things happen? And some and some of you are like, yeah, I can identify with that. Some, some have it harder. Why? You know, there, there's, there's questions. Why does a hurricane hit here or not there? You know? I, and, and my point is, to start there, is that that's, that's a tough question. It's a good question to ask. We should have those kind of questions. And, and there have been books written on that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain where he tries to intellectually understand suffering, and why things like that happen, and there's, there's a discussion to be had there, and it's worthy of our time, but that's really not where I want to go in these moments, because it's not really where the text goes this morning, it's because there's, there's two questions. We can ask the why question, but it's interesting. In the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis says the why question is actually the easier question than the one he didn't even dare tackle, and, he, and that question was, what is God doing in the midst of it? That, that how do we find courage and how do we find sympathy and how do we find strength in the presence of God in the midst of it? That's the gift that God gives us in this journey of life. That's the God gift that God gives us in those moments that, that we experience those unpleasant realities, those sucker punches, if you will, of, of life. Is that God is at work in the midst of it. How do we begin to understand what God's doing in it? in our lives, if we hold fast to the promise of Romans that that all things work to good to those who love him, what good comes when when life treats us, in our view at least, unfairly. And and there's an interesting verse in this text, these verses that I read. And it's verse eight, as it's talked about Jesus as this high priest who intercedes for us. And we'll talk in a moment about why that is why that is such good news. But it says this, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Now that's theologically a challenging statement. The son of God, God made flesh, sinless in every way as Hebrews affirms. Yet it says that even in his humanity, Jesus learned through what he suffered. And, and what that says to me is, I, I, there, there's, like I said, there's a lot of questions that come with that statement. But but what it affirms to me is that, that God shapes, shaped even the Son through the experiences of his life. That his ministry and his, his being was shaped through his willingness to be faithful even to the point of suffering. And why does that matter for us? Because if it's true for Christ, it's true for us. see The, the question isn't, well, will we have difficulties in life, will we suffer? That, that's, just, that's not the question. The question is how will we deal with it? What will we learn and what will we experience in the midst of it? And what, what the Word of God says to us is God is at work in that, not as the agent of suffering. I always say this very, very carefully. God doesn't desire for his children to hurt any more than, than we desire for our children to ever experience pain. But God doesn't abandon us in it, and God doesn't waste it. God uses it and works it. And in fact, sometimes it can even um, be a blessing. I don't know how many of you pay attention when you fly, if you're observers of of things um, in and around a plane. Uh, If if you're like me, I always like to get a window seat. I like to look outside. It's the problem I have when Tony and I fly together. Somehow I never get the window seat when Tony and I fly together. (laughs) Um, I don't get the noise-canceling headphones either, but that's for therapy, not for sermon time. Um, but, uh, but if you, you look out and you pay attention, and then some people don't. Some people don't like to look out at, at all. They just get me where I need to get, let me know I got there safely. Um, but there are, there are what's called vortex generators. And I read about this. I don't know this of my own genius knowledge of science. But they're called vortex generators on the wing of a plane. Yeah, Sam knows this. You know all about this. Some of you probably who are in aeronautics and th- know this, but it causes turbulence in the wind that is coming over the wing. Now, I'm not going to explain how that works. Talk to Sam if you want to know how that works. But, um, but the idea is that when the air is smooth, the plane doesn't steer as well. It needs a little turbulence. It needs a little disturbance, if you will, to actually better navigate. The path of the journey. Now, m- my point of the sermon is not to say, "Hey, go out and find a way to suffer for Jesus." All right, that's not to say we're immediately going to go, "Thank you, Lord," when life gets tough. But to recognize that God does stuff. He 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 redeems it. He makes it part of a wonderful um, um, fabric of of our lives. And sometimes significant ways. Sometimes in, in crazy ways. I read a story about Al Jolson. The, the, the jazz singer in the early part of the the century who um became famous for sing taking a knee and kind of and extending his arms out as he was finishing songs and and that became one of the in fact there's there's statues of Al Jolson who's on a knee in this kind of famous pose that that he did and um and kind of popularized well i don't know if you've ever heard of how that got started but it, it started because He was doing a show, he was in a play, and he had an ingrown toenail that was so painful. He was looking for any way he could to take pressure off his foot. So he came down to a knee to relieve the pressure of the foot. And it became a signature move that he continued to do well after the fact. Now, I'm not saying an ingrown toenail is necessarily suffering on any great scale. But the point is that God works in ways that sometimes those moments in our lives become catalysts for greater things. So, so what, what do we learn then? What do we begin to, to take away from, from those moments? And there's two things I want to walk away with today. I want you to walk away with. And, and the first is this, that, that in, in our suffering, in those moments, we become more like Christ. Not because we suffer, but because we begin to take on the heart of Christ. In, in two verses that are really, really important here, the first is verse 15. Talking about this high priest, says, For we do not have a high priest, who is Jesus, who was unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and he did not sin. In verse 2, it says this role of the high priest is to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who have gone astray, because he has himself has been subject to our weakness. We have a Savior who intercedes for us, who is compassionate and empathetic toward us, who treats us gently because he knows the struggle that we face. And when we go through those moments, God begins to work to soften our hearts so that we take on that character of Christ, and likewise we become gentle and empathetic and compassionate toward others in their moments of struggle in their moments of suffering, in their moments of difficulty, we begin to be more like Jesus. Because we begin to take on the character of Jesus. Mark Littleton is a a Christian writer and speaker, and he talks about his own years of dealing with dark, dark depression. And he talks about his journey through depression and through some of the darkest days of his life and God's presence and God's hand in in the redemption of those experiences, in the deliverance, in in his deliverance. But he also talks about what God was able to do, not only in him, but what God does through him because of that experience. And he tells a story of being at a dinner party one night, and a woman who was aware that he was a Christian and a Christian writer and speaker began to mock his faith, began to mock him for his faith. And, And most of us, me, would get very defensive, get angry at somebody who treated me that way. But he was able to recognize in her there was a deep pain. There was something very painful, something very broken within her. So he he just took it. But later on, he had an opportunity to engage her in a one-on-one conversation. And in that conversation, she opened up to him. And she confessed that she was going through her third divorce. And that it was very painful. And she felt terribly betrayed. And as she told her story, he said he was moved by it. Moved to the point that he got tears in his eyes. And when she saw that, she recognized in him somebody that genuinely cared. When she saw that, when she saw how her story touched him, she asked him a question he would have never expected. She said, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your faith which was an opportunity for him to tell her about Jesus, was an opportunity to share with her the story of how the one who was compassionate toward him in his greatest places of need had created him a heart of compassion toward others. We begin to take on that character of Jesus because God is at work. We begin to see others and to see beyond the external into the deeper realities of their experiences and to have compassion and to create that same spirit of gentleness and empathy. So, so we begin to become compassionate. Here's the other thing. We learn to depend on God. We learn to depend on God because God knows. And that's the whole point. God knows. It says there he has empathy for us because he knows our weakness. Is as interesting in the resurrection appearances of Jesus that it's the brokenness that reveals him. On the road to Emmaus with the two disciples as he walks and he's talking, they don't know who he was. They don't recognize him till he breaks bread. And maybe they see his hands for the first time. When he shows up in the upper room with the disciples, remember what he does? He shows them the wounds on his hands and his feet and his side. He identifies himself by his scars. It connects. Jesus knows. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you because he knows. The one thing that we can never say in our faith, one of the gifts of what God has given us, there's no point you can cry to heaven and God, God, if you just understood what it was like, if you just knew what it was like. We can be angry with God. That happens. But you cannot look to God and say, if you just knew what I was going through. Facing rejection, he knows that. The pain of losing someone you love, Jesus knew that. The abandonment of your closest friends, yep, Jesus was there. The persecution and the painful suffering for the sins of the world, he knew that too. Jesus knows, and the promise of our faith is that we worship a God who says, "I love you" because I know, because I've been there, because I've been there. I know many of you know the story of Johnny Erickson um, Tada, which I mispronounced her name in the first service. I've heard her story my entire life, and didn't I always called her Joni, but I got corrected, Johnny Erickson Tada. Who, um, if you don't know, as as a young woman, uh, a very active and vibrant woman, uh, misjudged the depth in the Chesapeake Bay and dove in and broke her neck and has spent her life paralyzed from the shoulders down, but who is also a passionate follower of Jesus and speaker and writer and just has a, a powerful story. But, but Philip Yancey tells a story that she told in, um, in, one, of his, in one of his books. And The story is that when she was talking, Johnny was talking about how one of the things that is very painful about being paralyzed as she is, something that we take for granted, is the ability to, to adjust your body when you're uncomfortable, to just turn your back a little bit, to scratch an itch. I mean, you think about how many times, you know what inevitably happens? It happens every time. It's the only time you ever become conscious, I ever become conscious of the gift of being able to scratch an itch is when I join hands to pray. Because it never fails. Whenever I'm in a circle prayer and I'm holding hands, then my nose itches it just every time and but you know that, that that prayer is going to end and you know what talking about prayer real quick No, i want to thank everybody who came out yesterday i got i got the email from paula last night about the wonderful prayer vigil yesterday and so many of you came out to pray thank you for being a part of that and I appreciate your uh, your your commitment to that but um but, but anyway but it's that that um that moment when you can scratch an itch she was talking about how she was really suffering and feeling the pain and the suffering, because, uh, because as being a, a paralytic, she couldn't do that. And so when she had in it, she couldn't scratch it. When, when her back was uncomfortable, uncom- she couldn't move it. And she was, she was kind of, I don't want to say wallowing, because that's, that's critical. But she was, she was expressing that, that frustration and that pain. And one of her friends, Cindy, said to her, "Said well, Well, Johnny, you know, Jesus knows what it's like to be paralyzed. Jesus knows what it's like to feel what you feel. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, think about it. He'd been beaten. His back had been opened wide. His back certainly hurt. He certainly desired to be able to shift his position. He certainly wished to use his hands to move and to adjust. But yet, on the cross, his hands were nailed to beams. His feet were nailed to a board. He couldn't move, couldn't adjust, couldn't change positions. He knew the suffering you feel. She went, yeah. Yeah, he did. And what's true for her is true for us. Jesus knows. God knows. He didn't abandon us in those moments. He didn't forget about us. His love holds true. In the moments, I don't mean to say that we receive them with joy, but receive them with hope. That God's at work to create in you and in me the character of Christ. And to remind us we can count on him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Hear that. God knows and he cares for you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, we do lift our hearts to you. And we invite your strength to be our strength. Your hope to be our hope. Your compassion to be our compassion. As we experience our journeys of life, as we walk our road, Lord, help us to know you are with us. You love us. You love us. And you will be with us every step of the way. That May that be the hope of our salvation and the joy of our hearts. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.